All right, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Well, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. A very good morning to all of you here. I see some familiar faces, some faces I haven't seen in here before today. And so my name is Bryce. I have the privilege of opening God's Word to you guys this morning. And it would be helpful if you did have one of these. If you have your own, great. If you have a device, also great. But if you'd like one of these to follow along, we'll be reading and working through God's Word this morning. It really has been a privilege to, to have been part of a a church that is, is so new, we're not even a year old yet, and it, it really has been great. I finish my official apprenticeship role as of next week, and so don't worry, I'm not running away, and, and for some, ah, oh, it's sigh that I'm not running away, but I will be here. I, I look forward to, to serving alongside you guys uh, as we continue to, to look at our Lord Jesus to see how awesome he is and how deserving of all praise, all honour, and all glory as we seek speak and live for Jesus here at Big Park. And so, well, without further ado, let's get started. I've got a question for you this morning, and it goes like this. What did the following have in common? Roger Bannister's record for the four-minute mile. Jan's probably the only one who knows who that is. Apollo 11's mission to the moon. Eating not one, not 10, not 20, but 32 Big Macs in one sitting and some idiot breaking four bones or more on four different occasions doing the exact same thing. Incredible. It's close. It does start with I. I believe the word you're looking for is impossible. Impossible. And just for the record, that idiot who broke four bones on four different occasions playing the same thing, doing the same thing, was me. 
You can ask me about that later. Those are things people thought couldn't be done. Roger running a mile in four minutes, yet it's been broken time and time again now. People didn't think you could get to the moon, and yet we haven't. And who would have thought someone could eat 32 Big Macs in one go? Or the same guy has done 76 hot dogs in one sitting. Crazy. Impossible. But when we use the word, we don't literally mean impossible, do we? Like when we use it, we might mean slim or really long odds, like not having a chance. But actually today, we'll look at something in the category of literally, genuinely, just plain old impossible. And it comes from the Bible. Can you imagine what it would have been like for Mary and Joseph the week leading up to Mary giving birth? Can you believe it, Joe? No? We're going to have a baby. Apparently. <laughs> Remember what the angel Gabriel said. How could I forget? We even have a name for him. Yeah. And something along the lines of how he'll be called the son of the Most High, the son of God. I know, right? It's crazy. Jesus, the Son of God, a king. Mary, this baby is going to be huge. Yeah. And his kingdom not ending. Joey, what do you think of that? His kingdom not ending. Gabriel's probably just messing with us, Mary. A kingdom that never ends? Fascinating. I wonder what that means. Let that sink in for a moment. But that's not even the craziest thing we'll hear this morning. Okay, we, we don't really know how Mary and Joseph would have reacted to the, the week out of Jesus' birth, but don't you reckon they would have been a teeny weeny bit of disbelief there? Like if someone told us in two weeks' time, as we go into the new year, that COVID would not be there. That it would disappear, it would vanish, poof, gone into thin air. Impossible. But this time, in less than a week, 2,000 years ago, the impossible will be made possible. The promise would become reality. The natural order of things as we know it, rewritten, rewired, reacted to remarkably. God himself would come as a baby. Mary would give birth to a son, not having gone through the biological processes of trying to conceive. It's ridiculous, isn't it? The thought of having a baby, the sheer thought, unfathomable. It's next level crazy because it's scientifically impossible. Check out what Mary says in verse 84. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Mary understood the science that goes into baby making, and though we mere mortals are typically contained by it, science that is, our God isn't. He cannot be if he's the creator. And check out the angel's response to Mary's how in verse 35 and 37, if you have it there. I'll read it out. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
For no word from God will ever fail. Because of God and because he said so. Not Simon says and we do, but God says and he does. God says and he does. Or as another Bible translation puts it, verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. God says that the most impossible of impossibles, he will make possible. The God of the universe, the one who is holding up right now every single star in place, every planet, every galaxy, he is the one at work during Christmas. He is a God of initiation. He takes the initiative and he needs to. Not because of him, but because of us. Because we done bad. We mucked up. Our rebellion against him, our outright rejection of the creator God, our turning away from him, our evil deeds, our desires, all that's associated with that. That's what the Bible calls sin. Sin against, not ourselves, but against the creator God. The one who created us. And that's not cool. Imagine for a a second that you're a parent. A lot of us don't have to imagine that hard. The work that you've put into raising your little baby, how you've fed him or her, nurturing him, changed his nappies, cared for him when he was sick or just scared, sent them to school, clothed them, raised them. Now imagine that the only time of day that the one you raised, the only time of day that they gave you was a card in the mail each year. If you're lucky, that they wouldn't forget. No hugs, no kisses, no warm embrace, no nothing but an impersonal card with a generic computerized message in it. That's wrong. That's wrong, isn't it? How much more so when we reject the creator God in his created, as, as his created beings? The one who gives us the very life we live, the air we breathe, the blessings we enjoy. And for choosing everything over God, everything but God, we actually deserve to be punished. We deserve to be condemned. We deserve to be charged guilty before a holy and perfect God. I've used this analogy on youth camp, and I think there is one in this room who would have heard it before, and I think it applies here too. Like kryptonite is to Superman, sin is to humans. If you don't know who Superman is, I'm sorry. Um, Like kryptonite is to Superman, sin is to humans. But unlike Superman, who knows to avoid at all costs kryptonite, we're pretty silly, pretty dumb, and can't help but keep running to sin, running back to sin. Sin is real, it's powerful, it disguises itself as good, but if we let it, it will eventually kill us. The book of James, another book in the Bible, puts it like this. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, and here's the focus for us, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. It's pretty bleak. 
Let's see how God has responded this morning. God's response wasn't to lean away, but instead, it was to lean in. Lean into the messiness. Lean into the world that has rejected him. He he doesn't lean away when he has absolutely every right to. He leans in. God sends, Jesus comes, the Holy Spirit empowers. God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, as we, as we have from the Word this morning, we see Him as an initiating God. He leans in and doesn't lean back. This is massive news. That God has not abandoned us in our mess. He leans in and takes initiative. He gets his holy hands dirty. Because in Psalm 40, we read that God reaches into the pits, into the mud and the mire, to pull this guy named David out of it. And you know what? God does the same for us. He gets his holy hands dirty so that we might be made clean. God the Father sends God the Son, conceived by God the Spirit. It's mind-blowing. Massive. God of the universe, come as a baby, and no ordinary baby he would be. Because this miracle baby, this impossible child, the one to be born, he will be called Jesus. Verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son, the angel speaking to Mary, and you are to call him Jesus. But for what purpose? Why does Jesus have to come? Jesus, whose name means saviour, God saves, is given to this baby because as per Matthew's gospel, he will save people from their sins. He will save us from our sins. And boy, do we need to recognise that we need saving. And so it's been a long build-up to two points this morning. I know what some of you are thinking, we always do three. Today we'll do two, for your benefit. Two points. First one, Jesus is who? Really simple, Jesus is who? And the second, our do. Jesus is who and our do. Start with Jesus is who. Finish the sentence for me, would you? Jesus is, you could say a lot of things there, and so I won't get you to shout it out all at once, was what I asked some of my students when I was teaching them at the school I was at before. Jesus is, or was, dot, 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 finish that sentence. Some of their responses, teacher, saviour, prophet, a nice guy, good dude, a moraliser, a party boy. Jesus, a party boy. Well, he did, at that point, do the miracle of changing water to wine, and so that was their conclusion. They came with party boy. And I guess we could make a case for all of those titles, especially if we read the gospel accounts. But one that didn't come up and is implied from our passage today is one of king. Title of king. And we see recorded from Luke, the writer, that Joseph is a descendant of David. The one I refer to in the part of God rescuing him from the mud and the mire. And if you know anything about this bloke, David, you probably know that he was a king. A king set in place by God to rule his people, to provide, to protect. That's what kings do. That's what they're meant to do. And David was no exception. 
Yet, even in his time as king, David was not perfect. Soon he would be overcome by the power that he had, use and abuse it to get what he wanted. Where have we heard that before? He wasn't a perfect king. Yet, a promise was made by God that one day, the true king would come from his line. One that would reign forever. And according to the Old Testament, which is pretty much two-thirds of the Bible, uh, pre-Jesus time, we hear of this child that will come. And we've heard it from our first scripture reading this morning. It come, the first one comes from Isaiah. Isaiah, who came 700 years before Jesus, he said this, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Amazing. And again, from another part of the Bible, this time from 2 Samuel, we hear what another prophet, whose name is Nathan, spoke of the King David. The house declares to you Sorry, let's read that again. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. And skipping to verse 16. Your house and your kingdom will endure before me. Your throne will be established forever. And then we go back to our text this morning. Verse 32 says this. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Jesus is who? Jesus is who is promised king. He will reign forever over a kingdom that will never end. Jesus is who is promised king. But I think for us, it might seem a bit too fairy tale esque Maybe for our liking, right? I mean, kings and kingdoms, where are the dragons and knights? Where are they? But take a moment to consider the times that we need to read this. The story we read about here took place, yes, 2,000 years ago, where actually rulers, kings, kingdoms were actually a legitimate thing. And although rare for us today, here in the West especially, it's still a title that holds a bit of weight, a bit of power, a bit of significance. And we don't have to think too far from our monarch, Queen Lizzie. But as much as we love Lizzie, and we do. She is largely just a figurehead, isn't she? Because even if she passed on, which would be tragic, not least because Charles becomes king, but because we love her. But, but it doesn't change anything, really. But a real king, like the one we have here this morning, is one who loves 
who cares, who provides, who protects his people. That's a king worth following, isn't it? They do what you can't do for you. Because kings are meant to represent, to provide, and to protect their subjects because they're in positions to. And when they do, their kingdom usually thrives. It does what it always was meant to do. But sadly, our experience of rulers, and not just today, but throughout time and history, has been a mixed bag, hasn't it? We've had authorities ruling really well. Where we've seen nations thrive and do really quite well. But at the other end of the spectrum, we've had government bodies that have ruled so poorly, so selfishly, that they would rather their people starve to death so that they could bask in their affluence and wealth and power. And even now, it's a sad reality that exists. One that will never be perfect in this lifetime, under any human ruler, because at the core, we are all sinful beings. And as history has proven, there's always an in-it-for-themselves mentality at some point, which is why we have the checks and balances we do. Yet God's people, God's people 2,000 years ago, they experienced this but they looked forward to a king that wouldn't be compromised, one that would see perfect justice brought about and the people completely loved, cared for, protected, provided. And this promised king will be unlike any of those who have come before nor will come after. The one promised who holds out a hope that can never be taken away from us. The one who has humbled himself to being born the living as a human, the dying as a human. The one promised will be God himself, who will one day rightfully rule and love his people like no one else has. And Jesus is that one, friends and family. This Jesus who prioritised his people over himself, this king who was willing to give up everything so that his people could have everything. Jesus, the Son of God, who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. King Jesus did what you and I can't do for ourselves. The one who has changed the course of history for his people. But how? How has he changed the course of history for us? By doing the one thing no other human has ever done before. He conquered death. He was raised to life, defeating death, and one day promises that we will be raised with him too. And it's this resurrection of Jesus, it's this resurrection that is the receipt, the proof that he has paid for our sin, our rejection against God. He has defeated our enemy, and it's the receipt we cling on to 2,000 years later. One that will never fade one that can never be torn, one that can never be lost or will ever need to be replaced. Jesus is who? Is promised impossible king. But what does that little bit of history have to do with you and me? Everything. 
And this brings us to our second and final point. So bear with me. We're nearly there. Because knowing Jesus' is who should affect our do. Knowing Jesus' is who should affect our do. And I think we find it hard to wrap our heads around this kingship idea because, A, we live in Australia, and boy, oh boy, Mark ain't our king. And B, we don't like the words kingdom and rule and throne because of the words we associate with them. We don't like the word submission. We don't like the word serve. We don't like the word authority. We don't like it because we don't like to be ruled. Those words can stay in Disney, thank you, because we know what's best for us. Or at least we, we like to think so. I know this is trivial, but even at training, I, I do a bit of athletics on the side when I, when I have a bit of time to myself. Even at training, when my coach, who is here today, so shout out to Kim, when he gives me feedback, which is always good, and advice on how to do it better, outside of, of me accepting, acknowledging, and thanking him, which I really do hope I do, there's, there's a part of me that really has to fight the thoughts of, God, just, <laughs> ah, I've been doing this for so long, I think I know what I'm doing. Get up, ah. you know that feeling? But coach, I, I do love your feedback, so, <laughs> so don't stop giving it, Kim, don't stop giving it, it, it is great. But that's that internal struggle that I have to fight because I think I know what's best for me. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever been in that situation, thinking that? Because we usually don't like feedback. Because we think we know what's best. We usually don't like to submit because we don't like giving up control. Yet, there are already instances where we submit without complaint. Like in sport, if you guys know me, I do like my sport a bit. Imagine playing soccer, apparently a, a, a football code, but then you choose to pick up the ball, it's the one play with your feet, then you choose to, to pick up the ball and play it like basketball with your hands. I reckon you'll get one of these. And it's pink, I know. It's the closest thing I had to red. It's a red card. That's at least what you'll get. Or with driving and following the road rules, um, it's fine if I go through the red lights. But only when there's no cars, of course, jeez. Though in America, they kind of do this. But when it comes to life, and you know, when we want to do something, when we choose to do something, we want to be our own kings and queens, don't we? We want to call the shots. We want to make the decisions. We want to plan. We want to decide. We want to have the last say. We want to be at the center of our own universe. But what if there was a king who was the rightful ruler? A king who created us to be in a real, loving, tangible relationship with him. A king whose name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus, whose kingdom will never end. Jesus is who? Promised, impossible king should affect our do. This Jesus is who we celebrate at Christmas time. A king who counted himself lower than his subjects. A king that went into battle for his subjects. A king who chose to die for his subjects. He chose to sacrifice himself for you and I. But then 
three days later, he conquered death. And if I haven't hit it home yet, let me keep on hitting. Because if this is true, then what does that mean for you and I? Well, as Jesus says in another part of the Bible, in John chapter 5, it means that hearing his words and believing in him will lead to life eternal with him now. Now and into eternity. It means that the little crowns that you and I want to keep on wearing, we need to throw it to the ground. We need to get God to smash it to pieces because Jesus is the rightful king. I think it means submitting to him when we think we know what's best. I think it means saying no when yes just seems oh so enticing. I think it means drawing a line in the sand when culture is yelling in our ears to jump over the line at every opportunity. It means seeing Jesus as king of our lives, the rightful and only ruler, and his words that we find in the Bible are the ultimate authority. And though we see submitting as a negative, oppressive, freedom-sucking, Christians, Christians across the centuries, actually believe that submitting to Jesus as king of our lives, being in a relationship with him, is actually the most freeing thing, the best thing you can know. Knowing him is the most fulfilling, the most satisfying, incredibly awesome thing you can do in this lifetime. Because Jesus is God, and he is a good God, a God for you. But no, don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean that he is a God for all of the material blessings that you seek now in this lifetime. Like if I just follow Jesus, I'll get that promotion, or if I follow Jesus now, I'll get that thing that I've been wanting for so long. No, Jesus is not a vending machine. I just put in the right change, if I just say the right prayers, if I know he is a God fully and totally for your holiness and joy. In him, not your happiness outside of him. I'll say that once more. He is a God who is fully and totally for your holiness and joy. In him, not outside of him, not your happiness outside of him. It's once you comprehend this love, this amazing undeserved love that the creator God has for you, only then will you want to humbly submit to him as saviour and king. Because you cannot have one without the other. You cannot have Jesus as saviour, but not as your king. I'll take, I'll enjoy, I'll have all the things that you've given me and created for me, thanks. But Jesus, the creator God, thanks but no thanks. And this one's a bit trickier. I'll get involved in church. I'll say all the right things to the right people. I'll do the right things. But Jesus is king? Thanks but no thanks. I don't know where you stand with Jesus this morning. But I think for some of us today, it can feel and look Pretty similar, can't it? 
Because I've got to admit, this is exactly how I viewed Christianity uh, before I came to know Jesus as a him and not an it. A saviour who died for me? Okay, great, awesome, thank you. Free pass to do whatever Bryce wants to do, the way Bryce wants to do it. Or Bryce. But it's here at this point we go, thank God that we live in his kingdom of grace. Thank God that we live in his kingdom of grace. Meaning he's given us something that we, we didn't ask for and we didn't deserve. He's given it to us freely. A good and loving God who forgives us, who welcomes us back when we turn back to him. Because Jesus saves us as our king. And as we've seen how kings rule, they make the rules. And so we therefore obey King Jesus. And unlike our main man Mark, Jesus' territory just isn't over this state. He rules over everything for all time, for all eternity, including our lives and every aspect of it. At our workplaces, within our families, with our friends, alongside strangers on the train, in our cars, at the shopping centre car parks during Christmas time. The question for us is this. How are we living for Jesus as king of our lives, here and now? Does something need to change? Does something need to give? Well, I reckon if he's king, it must affect our do. Not sure it could, it must affect our do. And for those amongst us who don't yet believe Jesus to be saviour and king, we are really thrilled that you're here. Really am. You might not think any of this is true. Maybe actually still in the fairy tale category, the made up, rather than historical. But can I encourage you this morning, this Christmas time, to see actually if it is true. I think it would be really worth your while to consider reading the account for yourself. You to make up your mind to see Jesus as who he is, as found in the Bible. So we've got some of these at the back, um, pretty much next to the, the, the very pretty looking letterbox. And so if, if that's you, if you're in that category, we'd love for you to grab one of these. It's pretty much what we've read today and a bit more. It's, it's the Gospel of Luke. Because if Jesus really is king, then there are massive implications for your life. Would you also maybe consider joining us next Saturday for a short Christy service? And yes, it will be short. We'd love to have you back. We'd love to walk through part two of two of the Christmas story with you and be able to celebrate Jesus' birth with, I've had word, yummy fruit mince pies. And so as we turn our heads, our eyes, our hearts, our all to Christmas this year, the traditions that we'll be a part of, the food consumption that we will have to prep our stomach linings for, the presents that we'll anticipate smashing through the wrapping to get through to what's underneath, would you remember the promised impossible king who would be born to a virgin? King Jesus, God himself, come to save us from our sins. Isn't that worth celebrating this Christmas? Would you pray with me? King Jesus,
We give you absolutely all thanks for the way you have come into the world to save us. The most impossible of ways you made possible. Thank you, God. God, we ask that this Christmas season you would help us to see clearly, know intimately, and respond accordingly to the incredible love that you have for us, either more and more or for the first time in this person of Jesus. Thank you that you're a God who saves, a God who is king. In Jesus' name, amen.